Hello everyone, this is Simon with Midweek Devotions, a time for us to be in God's Word throughout the week and to be doing it together too. We've been looking at Messianic Psalms, Psalms about Jesus, and today we're looking at Psalm 41, a psalm Jesus quotes as he reveals to the disciples that one of them will betray him while they had their last supper together in the upper room. Well, let's pray and then we'll jump on in and read it together and have a little think. Our Father in heaven, uh, we give you thanks to you for day. Uh, we give thanks to you today for another day, another day of life lived under you. Uh, Lord, would you help us as we look to your word, and as we look to what you have uh, to have for us uh, to be challenged and encouraged, to be shaped and molded, uh, to be seeing Jesus more and more in our lives and in the gospel. We pray these things in His name. Amen. Let's read Psalm forty-one. Blessed are those who have regard for the weak, and the Lord delivers them in times of trouble. The Lord protects and preserves them. They are counted among the blessed in the land. He does not give them over to the desires of their foes. The Lord sustains them on their sickbed and restores them from their bed of illness. I said, Have mercy on me, Lord, heal me, for I have sinned against you. My enemies say of me in malice, when will he die and his name perish? When one of them comes to see me, he speaks falsely while his heart gathers slander. Then he goes out and spreads it around. All my enemies whisper together against me. They imagine the worst for me, saying, A vile disease has afflicted him. He will never get up from the place where he lies. Even my close friend, someone I trusted, who shared, one who shared my bread, has turned against me. But may you have mercy on me, Lord. Raise me up, that I may repay them. I know that you are pleased with me, for my enemy does not triumph over me. Because of my integrity, you uphold me and set me in your presence forever. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and Amen. Uh, you know, back in the day, some of the guys at church used to get together hang out and play board games. That seems like a pretty normal thing to do these days, but this was a little while ago and board games weren't quite as prevalent as they are now. But anyway, one of the games that we played was Risk. And if you've ever played Risk before, you would know that it's risky business. And it's not really so much anything in the game that's a problem, it's what this game could do to your relationships. You see, in Risk, one of the things you would do as you each pursued your goal or mission was make alliances with the people near to you. And so basically what would happen is that you would promise and swear you would make an oath that you wouldn't attack your neighbour. But just when the time was right, just when they had moved all their resources and defences away, just when everything lined up, that's when you would stab them in the back. You would attack and you would run straight through all that they owned. I mean, you would look your friends in the eye and say things like, Don't you trust me? I'm not like that man. You would say things like, You know me, I, I wouldn't lie to you. But it didn't really matter because eventually, in the game, something had to give. Someone had to win. If you've never played Risk, uh, then in truth I don't really recommend it. Uh, especially if you want to stay friends with the people that you're with. We kind of sort of informally banned that game after a little while. 
Have you ever been betrayed? Have you ever been stabbed in the back? Have you ever found yourself in one of those circumstances, those situations? Where nothing really seems to be going very well, you're already in a kind of a dark place. But somehow it gets worse, someone or something piles on, betrays you, and it's the last thing that you expected, the last thing that you need. Well in this psalm, the pylon is exactly what we see. David is no stranger to bad times in his life, and he expresses his feeling about them in this psalm. And we actually see it expressed, explained in a little bit of detail here in the middle, uh, in the middle paragraph, in the second paragraph of the psalm. There are actually pairs of verses in this middle section, verses 4 to 9, uh, that show us and explain to them a bit. We can see, for example, that he is sick and unwell in verses 4 and 7. That he has enemies that are just waiting and wishing, licking their lips at the prospect of his death in verses 5 and 8. But last and worst of all, in verses 6 and 9, we find that he has friends who betray him. That his enemy is his friend, right, in verse 6. It's his friend who comes to comfort him in his, uh, in his sickness. It's his friend who comes to see him. But actually, this is no friend at all. This, this so-called friend speaks lies and spreads falsehoods about David afterwards. And then in verse 9, it's made even clearer that it's, it's, it's someone close, someone trusted. Someone who eats and shares his table and his food that turns against him. David goes through all kinds of suffering here. But as his description climaxes, if you like, in these verses, we see a prevalent feeling, uh, a prevalent pain. There's this great sense of sorrow, a deep relational heart hurt that is lingering and casting a long and heavy shadow over everything. The, the, the exact circumstance isn't explicitly mentioned in this psalm, but it does help us for us to consider for a moment David's own experience of betrayal in his life. Traditionally, this psalm, Psalm 41, has been associated with uh, something that's occur- that occurs in 2 Samuel 15. And it's his experience of betrayal at the hands of his own son, Absalom. Absalom was David's third son, and in 2 Samuel 15, Absalom usurps his father's throne by sowing discord amongst the people and making himself out to be their saviour and hope. Now that in itself is a terrible thing. It's, It's his very own son who is doing all of this. But, you know, historically, that's not an exactly uncommon um, turn of events. And actually, if you read more about Absalom into Samuel, you would know that he already has a track record himself of being a bit cutthroat, a bit dodgy. But in this narrative comes another name. It's not just the betrayal of Absalom, David's son. It's another name and another betrayal that is uh, shown. It's the name Ahithophel. And Ahithophel was David's closest and perhaps his greatest counsellor. Absalom summons him and he comes. And then Ahithophel proceeds to advise Absalom against David. Uh, And he does so in some of the most heinous of ways too. And so in David's experience of betrayal, it was not just his son. And that really would have been bad enough. But it was actually one of his inner circle as well, one of his closest 
and most trusted advisors and friends. And so you can see why this is a psalm of lament, uh, why he's, uh, it's a psalm where he is crying out to God and why he needs to do that in the first place. He calls him in the opening verses the God of the lowly, a God who delivers and protects and looks over the weak and the troubled and the sick and the surrounded. He's crying out because of how he feels fragile and, and vulnerable, crying out to his God, to a God who can rescue and this all is a part of a, a foreshadowing in the Bible. And that's what we've been thinking about through this whole series of Messianic Psalms. That this psalm points us to and helps us to wrap our heads around Jesus. Jesus references here uh, verse 9. He references verse 9 in the Gospels of Matthew and John. Uh, it's in that scene, in that moment in the upper room at the Last Supper right before Jesus is arrested. And where he reveals that one of the disciples will betray him. It's speaking of, of Judas, one of his inner circle, one of his closest friends, a disciple who is sharing his table and reaching for the bread in that uh, moment, just as Jesus does. You know, sometimes when we consider the disciples, we think of ourselves like the good 11. Do you know what I mean by that? The good 11? We sort of think of ourselves like them. We follow Jesus. We don't stab him in the back like, Jesus, uh, like Judas does. And we're like them in the sense that while we do do things that stuff up and screw up, while we do find ourselves sometimes denying Jesus, well, in his grace, we keep following him in the end. We keep trusting him. We're like the good 11. That's a, that, that is a, a genuinely helpful thing for us to reflect on sometimes. But even as we do that, we have to forget that there is a very real way in which we are more like the betrayer than the others as well. We're more like Judas in some ways than we are the good 11. You see, when Judas betrays Jesus, it says in John 13 that Satan had already prompted him. In Luke's gospel, it says that Satan entered him. And this reveals to us another dimension of Judas's betrayal, uh, that there is a, a kind of a, a bigger story and a bigger battle, a bigger betrayal at hand as well. What Judas did was not simply the traitorous act of a selfish man. It was actually in part a sign of the work of evil, of sin, and of that bigger story of how we and this world need saving from a curse that is far beyond our power and ability to overcome. Jesus' Jesus's betrayal at the hands of Judas is representative, actually, of his betrayal by everyone, heavenly and earthly. And that includes us, how we have sinned and rejected him, and are the reason he is subjected to arrest and to trial and to shaming and crucifixion. And that leads us, I think, to a challenging truth. This truth that, in a sense, we are only saved because Jesus is betrayed. What a challenging reality that is when we think about it. That Jesus comes and lives righteously in the world. That he's betrayed by one of his closest friends. And that he comes and endures all of that knowingly, knowing that it would come. And 
And actually, it's more than that. He doesn't just know that it would come. It's it's intentional. He comes purposely for it as well. Jesus doesn't just come being aware of his betrayal. He comes explicitly so that he could be and would be betrayed. The good news of the gospel of Jesus is that he willingly takes up his betrayal because it leads him to the cross that saves. And in this psalm, in that great mystery of God's foreknowledge, that he always had this plan for the world, the gospel itself is foreshadowed too. It's not just Jesus, uh, not just Jesus and Judas and betrayal that's foreshadowed, but the gospel itself. See, the psalm finishes in verses 10 to 13 with an expression of faith. That God would have mercy, that God would raise, that God would be pleased with the faithful one and not those enemies and betrayers. That those, um, those enemies and betrayers would not be victorious. Most profound here, I think, is verse 12. The psalmist writes, Because of my integrity, you uphold me and set me in your presence forever. Why does the psalmist know with sure faith that God will act, that God would take care of all these things? Well, it says it's because of his integrity, because of faithfulness, because of righteousness. It's speaking of Jesus. It's speaking of Jesus' truth. Because Jesus, who is righteous, is the one who lives this out. Jesus is vindicated by God in resurrection. And that stands for his power over sin and power over death, that he possesses the power of life and life eternal, that he is and that he is and he is in God's presence forever. The psalm ends with hope because there is hope for betrayal. It's not the end of the story, not for David, not for us. But most truly of all, not for Jesus either. So as we reflect on this psalm today, uh, absolutely first, can I encourage you to know that that, that if there is some circumstance right now that is making you feel cornered and alone, pressed from every side, that you can cry out to God. That you can know that it won't be the end of your story. That that's a truth for your life now. And you can have confidence in that because you have a bigger and better hope waiting for you in Jesus. That betrayal in your life by you and to you does not define you. No, you are defined by what Jesus has done as he has taken those things up on himself and done away with them. The second thing that we have to remember, though, is that we are in many ways like Judas. That we are people who have sinned and rejected God, that we are people who have disobeyed Jesus, that we are the reason that he is betrayed and given over to an unjust death. Here is an opportunity for us to be confessing and repenting and going to Jesus knowing that he forgives. But most importantly of all, I think what we need to do with this psalm, most gloriously of all, we need to see the richness and the extent of Jesus' goodness. That he comes and he does and he endures 
even this most personally unfair and painful thing betrayal by one most close, willingly and purposefully, so that we could all be forgiven of it all ourselves. Praise God for Jesus, who loves us so incredibly abundantly, so sacrificially, and so victoriously, that not only is he raised, but we are too. That Jesus is betrayed for our sake. And his goodness is that even though we are the ones who do it to him, he still sees fit to forgive us for it all. Let's pray. And our Father in heaven, uh, we want to give you thanks and praise that you are a good and kind God, that you love us, and that in your great gospel plan and will, you send Jesus to be betrayed, to suffer and to struggle, not just physically, but personally and in heart as well. We thank you that even though we are the ones who made it necessary in our sin, you still do all of these things to bring us close to you. Thank you, God, that we can turn to you also in our pain, in our circumstances, when we are betrayed. That we can know that despite whatever we go through in this life, you love us and you give us our, our identity. You hold us close and walk with us. Help us, Lord, to cry out to you in our pain. And remind us, Lord, give us the courage, the trust, the faith in you to go to you with our sin, to confess it and to repent of it, and to know that in your hands we are safe. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks everyone for joining us today. We'll see you next time. Bye.